Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. This weekend marks the 25th anniversary of Paula Cole releasing her hit song, Where Have All the Cowboys Gone, in March of 1997. I spoke with Cole in 2017 when she played the amp by Strathmore in North Bethesda, Maryland. Paula, thanks so much for taking the time to call in. Hey, thank you, Jason. Lovely to be here. Thanks. Absolutely. Now, I know you just put out a new album in August uh, called Ballads. Uh, is that is that mostly what we're going to hear? Uh? You're going to hear a little bit of it, for sure. Um, you know, anytime I release an album, I tour it, and I, I draw songs from it, but I always play the favorites. <laughs> I always play my catalog. You have so to. <laughs> there. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's part of who I am and part of what my audience wants, and I love it, and they're like family reunions, these concerts and we just come together and have a wonderful time and and you know listen to the catalog i'm i'm getting long in the tooth and deep in the catalog <laughs> no we love it we love it are you kidding me keep getting long in the tooth if you keep putting out good music what are some what are some of the ballads uh remind us that are that are on that album oh there's wonderful classic chestnuts you know america from the american canon of music from the 1930s to 60s so you'll have songs as old as body and soul or, you know, God Bless the Child, which largely from the 30s. And then I also have Bob Dylan tunes woven in there from his The Times They Are a Changing album, which definitely skew more social, political, and they're almost protest songs, really. Songs like uh, The Ballad of Hollis Brown and The Lonesome Death of Hattie Carroll, really socially conscious, amazing tales, as were songs like God Bless the Child by Billie Holiday. So there is a thread to it. It's kind of a folksy jazz album, so there are standards, but there's also songs that um, I think belong next to the standards that are more Americana, really, and they're woven together to make this beautiful quilt, this guitar-based folksy album of, of music that kind of defies genres. And that's what I was trying to do, is like not be limited to one genre, but blend them together as they deserve to be. Absolutely. I love it. Man, you, you mentioned a lot of the greats there. <laughs> I'm, just, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure uh, that you listened to, to a ton of them, you know, growing up in, in, in Massachusetts, right? Um, what, uh, how did you actually discover music to begin with? I was so lucky to be born into my family. They were so musical. My dad, especially, he plays many instruments and he was a musician on the side to, you know, make extra money. He would play functions on weekends and he was a bass player in a polka band and they were like a big deal in Connecticut. (laughs) They were called Johnny Pritko in the Connecticut High Tones and he played bass and they would all wear matching outfits and he was on albums so I'd, I'd go through the albums as a little kid and I'd find my dad on the album covers 
you know, kind of like in that spirit of a mighty wind, that kind of folk music scene where right. people wore matching outfits. And and he was just a naturally gifted musician who could play a little of this and a little of that, had a great ear, and he got me singing so young. So music was made. And I thought everybody made music at home, and I thought everyone could sing and play. That's, I, I grew up in a family that did it. So they instilled the love and the practice of it for me, and my dad really made it fun. So I learned these from him. And some I arrived later at, like Bob Dylan. I'm ashamed to say I arrived at Bob Dylan pretty late in life. I didn't really arrive at him fully to be appreciative of him until my 40s, you know? <laughs> and the same with Nina Simone. I, I'm ashamed to say I didn't really appreciate her until my 40s, but wow. So everything from, you know, how I grew up, the love of it from my dad, from the jazz classics to some of the folksy stuff, um, to just my kind of perennial search as a musician. I'm always curious. I'm always trying to deepen deepen my musicianship. Right. Yeah. Well, it's interesting how you you say certain you know certain artists strike you when you're young, and then someone something they strike you at different times. And hey, you know, even if it takes till forty to get Dylan, at least you got him eventually. <laughs> I got him. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. Hey, is it? Uh, it but is, is it true you got your big break uh, touring with with Peter Gabriel? You replaced Sinead O'Connor. Well, that was my first tour. Imagine that. Imagine a five-star tour being your first tour. It's all downhill <laughs> after that. Right, yeah, exactly. You know? Trial by fire. <laughs> I know. And, I mean, I was this serious musician. I went to Berklee College of Music. I was writing my own stuff. I wanted to be a jazz singer. Anyway, I had recorded Harbinger. It was in the bag. It was with my record company, but they were kind of waiting on it. And I was touring. And... Peter heard my my finished album Harbinger, but um, you know it was still unreleased. And he literally just called and left me a voice message. Paula, would you join my tour? Would you fly to Germany? <laughs> <laughs> would you fly to Mannheim, Germany, on Halloween? This is 1993, and you know I had one rehearsal. Of course, I said yes because he was a hero. Right. I had one rehearsal. And then I was thrown out in front of 16,000 Germans that night. And, and the Secret World Live video that they toured, which is beautiful, that was just a few days after I joined. I really was ready. I had to be ready because it was a quickly moving machine. You had to step on the train and be ready to brace yourself because it was moving fast. And I was ready. And I loved his music dearly. So that was my first tour. I don't know if it was necessarily my big break. Definitely people found out about me through it. I think my big break was really um, Where Have All the Cowboys Gone? Mm -hmm. Because it just went up the charts so quickly, and it was really my first hit. And that's what changed everything, I think. Absolutely. I mean, I, I still hear that song wherever I go. I'll still hear it, like, in the grocery store or driving in the car. Like, it's still around. It's it amazes me how certain songs just stick around. Um, how did you—do you remember writing it? Do you remember where you were? I do. I remember I was in San Francisco. And I was sharing a loft with three roommates, and I was surviving on a burrito a day. I'd have half for lunch and half for dinner. It was $2.50 <laughs> a bean and rice burrito that I'd load up with salsa. And I was so I was eking it out on a very modest budget, and I was devoting myself to the music, and I was recording at home. And, and so being in Northern California, and I, I was recording a lot at home, um, 
with my boyfriend at the time, Mark Hutchins, who was an amazing uh, producer. And so I was listening to XTC, that British group, mm-hmm. who they, they utilized a lot of humor and wit. And I liked that. And I thought it would be cool to hear some wit and double entendre and irony and melancholy and all of it put together from a woman's point of view. Because uh, you don't really hear that. You know, we tend to be singing about love all the time or, oh, he did me wrong. or Oh, I love you. So I, <laughs> I just wanted to write something wry, W-R-Y, wry, funny, right. you know, with overtones. And so the lyrics came first. Where have all the cowboys gone? It spilled out from the page. And, and then I wrote a rumba of a song, dum 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 Where have all the cowboys gone? And nobody liked it. Nobody liked it. Come on! Nobody liked it. And, I, and it stayed in the coffers in the closet of my demo tapes for a couple of years, and I released Harbinger and La-di-da. And then it came time to start building up songs for, uh, you know, what would be my second album, which became the fire and i thought i know that's a good song i just have to dress it up differently so i put on my producer hat and i thought i'm gonna nick that ringo star groove that happens on the reprise of sergeant peppers if you <laughs> listen to the whole album so you hear paul do the count off one two three four and ringo goes into this badass groove it's gorgeous and um so you know at the time with my limited technology i kind of looped that drum groove, superimposed cowboys, put on the background vocal, which is so catchy, and wrote a bridge. And then everybody, you know, just loved it. And it became what it became and just needed different, different production. And there you go. <laughs> I love it. I love that that whole story began with a burrito a day. Where have all the burritos gone? And then it's just... No. <laughs> they well, went into my tummy. <laughs> that's such a great story. Well, I'm glad that it, you know, it got out of your demo tape closet and finally got out to the world. It's such a great song. All right, so um, we also got to ask you about your... your, your it, you, you topped yourself. Somehow you didn't think you'd have a bigger hit than Where Have All the Cowboys Gone, but then you do I Don't Want to Wait, and the thing blew up and was massive. So um, do you remember where you even wrote that one? Yes, I do. I was... Um living in New York City. So I went from, I'm, I grew up in Massachusetts and that's where I'm calling you from now, but I spent a couple of years in San Francisco early days. And then I moved to New York City where I spent the majority of my adulthood, like 12 years. And that's where I was in the nineties. I was in my twenties in the nineties in New York City. It was electric. It was fantastic. And I was living in an apartment in Chelsea and I was sitting at my spinet. And I I wanted to write something for my grandfather. I just felt he was going to leave the planet soon. And uh, I was thinking about the way he raised my dad. I thought about his relationship with my grandmother, their marriage, which wasn't so happy all the time, you know, and how I didn't want to repeat those mistakes and how we just learn these cycles from our parents, and then we kind of unconsciously repeat them as we make our own families. And I thought about how I didn't want to live my life in an unexamined way like that and continue cycles. I also, you know, so I wrote it for him right before he died. I know his spirit is in that song, 
my grandmother too she's in that song and it kind of is a family song for me uh-huh. of course it was used by Dawson's Creek and it had a whole other life that I didn't anticipate but that was the original intention oh I love that the, the original intention was a was a throwback to to the, you know your your ancestors I love that that's sweet and then yeah, if, it's a family song it's yeah a family. it's a family yeah. song and then ironically there's this whole new young group of kids that that latch onto it for the show but that's funny it kind of works for both um, have any of those cast members from Dawson's come up? They went on to be huge stars. Did they ever come back afterward and thank you for putting them on the mat? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I can take any credit for that. I mean, they it's true. They had amazing careers. Um, I think they should give you credit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they probably got really sick of the song, you know? Right, right, right. You know, they're, they're nice people. I met them once. I went down to that. I can't remember if it's North Carolina or South Carolina where they shot that. And mm-hmm. I met them, and they were all really nice people. That's so great. Um, I want to know, um, last last sort of throwback question, then we can bring it back around to the, the show. Um Memories of, of winning Best New Artist at the Grammys. You know, Leanne Rimes won the year before you, Lauren Hill the year after. That's pretty damn good company right there. Uh, do you remember sitting in the crowd and them calling your name? Oh, I can kind of remember. It was. It's also overwhelming, really. I mean, I'm such a high introvert. When you take the Myers-Briggs, you can determine, are you an extrovert or are you an introvert? Well, I'm high introvert in here, and I'm used to being a singer and... And even a teacher or an educator talking to people, but this is a different level when fame was hitting for my two minutes. And it was uncomfortable. (laughs) And I was on the road all the time. And I just, I think on one hand, I was very lost, but I, I was overwhelmed by the attention that this album got. It was extraordinary. Uh, probably could have handled it better, you know, when I look back on hindsight, because I'd never even watched the Grammys, quite frankly. I'd never, I was not a TV watcher growing up. We had a shitbox, black and white, and we, you know, I didn't just really participate in that kind of thing. And I, I'm, I'm in music because I loved it so dearly, and I worked hard, and, and there I am, and I'm in it, and I, I don't know, it was kind of a blur, quite frankly, and. Now I have more perspective on it, and it makes a good bookend, and, you know, it, it makes a lovely title, Grammy winner. The acknowledgement is amazing. But really, I'm an introvert with a lot of catalog. I have a lot of albums out there yeah. and a lot of songs and and great fans. So to me, it's more about the whole, the whole, and I wish to be known more for, like, the content of my catalog. Sure. Absolutely. Well, we're going to hear a lot of the content from your catalog on the on the 19th <laughs> at AMP in North Bethesda. We're so excited to, to go see you. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. We, we know you're a busy woman, so thanks so much for dropping in. Oh, thank you, too, for your support. And I'm psyched to go, yeah, to go back down to the area and see all of you. And please come say hi to me after the show. I'll I'll be probably signing things at the merch table, so please say hello. <laughs> okay, sounds, <laughs> sounds good. Thanks so much for joining us today. Paula Cole, everybody, on WTOP. Thank you. Thank you, too. Bye. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time.
I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.